Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Join me as I seek out the small incremental changes being applied in other industries that we can learn from and that can be applied in healthcare. Can these changes bring immediate value, but also add up to the big improvements and revolution we need in healthcare? Come along with me to explore the possibilities. My innovative guests from around the globe have used small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by Jamie Pagliaro. He's the Executive Vice President and Chief Learning Officer at Rethink First. Jamie, thanks for joining me. Hey, Dr. Nick. So happy to be here with you today. Thanks for inviting me. So uh, for the benefit of uh, people listening, I think it's always important to get a little bit of background. Tell us how you arrived at this point. I've got to say, I think you're the first Chief Learning Officer I've met. So I'm curious about that title and role. But tell us a little bit of your background and your journey to this point. Sure. Well, back about 25 years ago, I had the uh, privilege as a psychology undergrad in college of, of uh, getting hooked up with a team that was working with a young child in the local community where I attended school uh, who had autism and who was receiving, at the time, what, what was a sort of new uh, innovative treatment coming out of the research literature called Applied Behavior Analysis, which is also now known as ABA. Uh, and I had one of the most um, remarkable life experiences watching the, the transformation of this child over several years, the impact on his family. And I guess it really became sort of a personal mission of mine to see how could we help more kids like this. And so over the years, I, I worked in various uh, service organizations, delivering care to children with autism in schools, residential settings. I, I moved up to New York City. Uh, in the early 2000s to open the first charter school dedicated exclusively to serving children with autism. Uh, and then I had a unique opportunity to partner up with a couple of other serial entrepreneurs who saw the uh, massive growth increase in the prevalence of autism and the uh, dearth of services available to meet the growing need. Uh, and we came up with an idea 14 years ago to build a technology company that could help address these problems. So uh, Rethink First now works in several sectors. We work with public education system. We work with uh, employer groups uh, supporting uh, employees that have children with special needs. We support providers delivering care, and we even work with uh, insurance companies and payers who are funding services. And so my role uh, as executive vice president, chief learning officer, is I oversee the operations of our uh, the provider branch of the business. And as the chief learning officer, I continue to uh, play a role in the overall strategy in the business and how we build our culture as an organization. Fantastic. I mean, there's a, there's a lot in there that I want to just get into because I think there's some important points. Let's start off, obviously, it, it's it's... I guess not surprising to me anymore that the number of folks that I talk to, um, their origin story is often a big driver, clearly for you. Um, yeah. And what I think is interesting about it is that you talk about autism, which, you know, at the time that you're referencing wasn't as big of a, I'm not going to say problem, I think it was still a big problem, but we didn't have as much, you know, and I think you rightly described it, prevalence, but we've seen that explode. Tell us a little bit about where that's gone in, in history and what you see in terms of the numbers, because that's part of the problem that you're trying to fix, right? 
Yeah, I mean the uh, the the prevalence numbers when back when I was in school and even going back to the seventies and eighties, people talked about autism being something that was one in ten thousand children and and largely unknown. I think that the first reference point a lot of people had in the public was uh, a movie called Rain Man with Dustin Hoffman. That was sort of the first portrayal of a person with autism that really reached the masses. But um, definitely when I started uh, in this field, it, it was pretty unknown. And if I talked to people about you know working or providing services to children with autism, that was usually followed with what, what is autism. Thankfully, there has been so much incredible work done uh, by by national organizations, by local organizations, by parent advocacy groups to really raise awareness of this disability um, and the behavioral profile of individuals with autism. And the result of that has been the, um, you know, the removal of the stigma, which I think, you know, was one of the challenges a lot of families face and access to so many more services now in school systems through your health insurance. Um, and so, yes, those prevalence numbers uh, have, have skyrocketed in the last uh, 20 plus years that I've been doing this. And uh, just uh, within the past year, the CDC updated their statistic once again to autism now impacting one in 44 uh, children in the United States, which is just a staggering number. Wow, that's that's really significant, and you know, obviously, the number of contributing factors. I think one of the, the big ones that you describe is important. Is that we're just more aware of it, and we can identify it, and and that's important in in the context of this because you talk about ABA, and I think first of all, if you would help people understand briefly what that is. Um, and then we'll talk about that application. Uh, you know, in 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 the case of autism. Yeah, I mean, ABA in a nutshell is a, is a scientific approach to trying to change or improve socially important behavior. And so when applied to individuals with autism, it's really about looking at the current developmental profile of the child. And typically in kids with autism, we see significant deficits in uh, their communication, their social skills. We also see the presence of sometimes repetitive or even disruptive type behaviors. And then those core deficits then impact an even broader set of, of life skills. And whether that's learning to eat, get dressed, being able to go to school and learn reading and writing math, we start to see that the, the, the lack of these early developmental skills starts to impact an even broader set of skills. And so really what ABA is doing is it's trying to come in very early, look at those developmental skill gaps and apply principles of behavior, namely things like positive reinforcement to really target and teach and improve and help that child catch up to where they should be uh, with their developmental profile. And I think that's one of the important points for people to understand here is that the earlier pretty much you catch this and then importantly apply the relevant therapy, the better the outcome. Is that true? What, what's the case there? Absolutely. I mean, the, the most compelling research shows that if we can apply ABA early, intensively, for a specific period of time and with a high quality that we can have really a life-changing impact on a significant number of, 
uh, children. Uh, the challenge is getting to that diagnosis so those services can begin to happen. And, you know, there's a lot of tremendous work being done right now by researchers throughout the United States to, to get better screening tools in the hands of pediatricians. There's now technology companies that are looking at ways to do the diagnosis even earlier through parent videos uh, and, and through telehealth. Um, and, you know, still the average age that kids begin getting that diagnosis hovers around four years old. So uh, we know that if we can get to kids earlier, the better chance we have at, at reaching sort of that optimal outcome. Uh, now, ABA can be an effective methodology to help kids throughout their childhood and even into adulthood, learn a variety of skills. But when we think about it as sort of early intensive ABA, uh, getting in there as soon as possible is definitely a critical factor. Right. Uh, and, you know, again, one of the sort of, I, I think, important points for those that, that don't have exposure to this in, in direct form is that it's actually quite difficult, despite, I think, there's been... Some investment, some, you know, there's certainly a lot of focus. Let's be clear. Behavioral health is like the hot topic for investment, all of those things. But that still hasn't solved the problem. There's a challenge in terms of access. What's going on there? Well, I mean, because you have a, a service now that's covered by insurance, you've sort of seen a, an explosion of a, of a new industry of, of clinicians getting certified to be able to provide this treatment method. And I was I was poking around looking at some statistics earlier today. And currently um, there's just north of 58,000 uh, board certified behavior analysts. And those are those clinicians that are typically assessing and writing the treatment plan. Nearly half of those 58,000 uh, certificates uh, were granted within the last five years. So wow. this is a, a certification that's been offered since 1999. And yet just in the last five years, we've seen this, this huge explosion. And so, you know, the good news is, you know, the field is trying to keep up with the number of kids. It's still behind, which is leading to kids on wait lists, service providers not being able to treat more patients. Uh, it's also created a bit of a, a wild west in the sense that, this has never been a service model covered by insurance. This has never been a service that providers have had to prescribe and get authorized from an insurance plan. And there's really a lack of standards of care. Um, and that is problematic because, one, we want to make sure kids get access to quality care across the board, regardless of their socioeconomic background. We want to make sure kids are getting access to quality and the right level of care. Um, and two, you know, making sure that once that prescription is made, uh, that it's delivered with a level of fidelity. Uh, because if I, if I gave you a medication and you only took the medication every few days, but it was prescribed as something you should take every day, if then we stood back and said that medication isn't working, you'd have to also look at, well, is the issue that the medication wasn't the right medication and the dosage wasn't the right amount, or was the fact that the medication wasn't delivered with a level of fidelity, there wasn't compliance with the protocol, uh, is, is that contributing to the lack of outcomes? So you have an industry that's that's grown so quickly here, and there's a dire need for better outcome measurement and better standards of care. Right. And, uh, you know, let's put to one side the the 
very small minority in, in in my belief of the world of people that are you know trying to misbehave i think everybody comes in with the right intentions but it's challenging right as you described it's this explosion you know people are, are jumping in they they want to be supportive um and that's part of what you're trying to do is to bring i i guess you know brings you're the sheriff in town for for behavioral health is is that a a reasonable assessment you know i i i, I like to think of us as switzerland rather than a sheriff that, that's walking around and <laughs> i see sheriffs in a good way to be clear <laughs> Well, you know, at Rethink, we see tremendous opportunity to help bring order to the chaos and to help the industry establish and refine those standards of care. One thing that we've done over the last few years is we developed a proprietary uh, medical necessity assessment tool, a, a dosage calculator, if you will, that provides a format and a decision-making logic to help a clinician assess that child, where they are, what they need, and to translate that into a prescription or a dosage of ABA services. First of all, is, is the child appropriate for that treatment? And second of all, there's a big difference between five or 10 hours a week of treatment versus what some kids are getting 30, 40 hours of treatment per week. And so we believe that helping to bring standardization to how that prescription process takes place is a first step. We also, through our, our, our practice management software that providers use throughout the U.S., we have clinicians inputting, uh, I think in the last year, 20 million data points on the patients served on our platform. Um, and that's looking at their treatment goals, looking at the people that are actually delivering care day in, day out, and putting that information into a mobile app. Um, and you know, our product provides all kinds of great reporting and data visualization to help the clinician evaluate the progress. But what's really exciting to me is this massive data set that we've amassed, uh, that, that we've built over the last 14 years. Uh, and we've now started to bring in data scientists to help look at those data so that we can see beyond that initial prescription of care, what's actually working, what's not working, so that we can help better inform uh, providers, payers, and most importantly, empower the consumer. Right. For those of you just joining, I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Today, I'm talking to Jamie Pagliaro. He's the Executive Vice President and Chief Learning Officer with Rethink First. We were just talking about, um, you know, bringing order to the, the Wild West and, uh, you know, some of the work that you've done. Sounds like, you know, you've amassed this huge data set that uh, encompasses uh, uh, treatments, actual assessments of the individuals showing um, you know, potentially some guidance for future uh, opportunities in terms of what would be the most appropriate. Because my sense of this is we're still exploring a lot of this. This is not, you know, the, there's no cast iron uh, recipe to actually resolve this and finding perhaps some of those pathways. So uh, tell us, if you would, a little bit about the, the platform and some of the insights that you've started to see as, uh, it, you know, you've gathered all of this data. Yeah, so our, our platform for providers consists of an electronic medical record, clinical data collection uh, tools, 
there's also an extensive library of thousands of treatment protocols that were developed and overseen by an independent scientific advisory board um, consisting of some of the leading experts in the field of, of autism uh, and autism service delivery. Um, and then we pair that up with all the, the, the business functions that a clinician needs, uh, you know, scheduling of appointments, billing, paying their therapists uh, through a payroll system, which also becomes a really rich data set to look at the cost of services and the compliance, the cancellation rates of the services. Um, and so we're still really in the early days of, of mining this data set to garner insights. Um, some things that we've learned right out of the gate with our uh, work with the dosage prescription assessment is validating the fact that there is tremendous variability in how clinicians prescribe care from one organization or practice group to another and even from one clinician to the other. And that really is why we made that a starting point to bring order to that step in the process and then to continue building out from there. And, and you know, let's dig into that a little bit, because from a, a, a clinical perspective as a, a physician, I think about prescribing drugs, you know, and we talk about a dose response and, a um, you know, a, a line. Do you see that? Can you see is the value to actually increasing, um, you know, uh, the amount of therapy in, in some, all cases? What, what's the status there? Well, I think, you know, we do look at what that initial dosage is. We do look at what is authorized by a health plan. And then it gets messy. You know, when you're talking about providing a child 20, 30, 40 hours of treatment for six months at a time, and, and typically they're repeating those six-month authorizations uh, sometimes for a couple of years, you know, you're dealing with humans, uh, kids get sick, therapists can't come to work, parents have competing demands. Um, so it's not as simple as just making sure that you remember to take your pill in the morning. And so, you know, we notice that when somebody gets an authorization for service, a lot of times they may only be getting 60 to 70 percent of that recommended or prescribed service. So that's something that we really need to look a lot more closely at. First of all, are there ways to enhance that, that utilization and, and get better fidelity? Um, and then how do you help problem solve with, with families and just the logistics of, of the provider practices to help optimize and ensure that kids are getting that level of care that was actually prescribed? Yeah, and and you know you mentioned this earlier on. I mean, obviously we 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 see inequities in healthcare that are just really truly devastating. And I think in this particular instance, I don't want to say more so. I think everybody you know sees their own problems. But obviously, from a a family standpoint, lack of access. How are you starting to address that? Are you able to drive down the costs of access? Are you able to provide some automation that sort of improves things? Can you extend care into these communities that just don't have you know ready access? Yeah, well, well, fortunately, due to mental health parity laws, you know, we're now seeing state Medicaid programs developing initiatives and creating fundy funding that matches what children are receiving in that same state that are privately insured through through their family's you know employer um i think that's a really great first step and you know we're working with many providers that 
uh, go and network with Medicaid. We've had many discussions educating legislators, uh, state childcare leaders uh, on the importance of delivering this service equitably to all children. And again, it's another area where we believe that having standards of care like a dosage assessment, a prescription assessment, ensures that somebody's not just getting better access to care because they're financially able to, to, to pay for that out of pocket. Um, and so I think there's still a lot of work to be done. And, and absolutely, from a technology perspective, you know, we're obsessive about can we help improve the productivity of therapists? Um, can we help optimize care? Can we, can we help get results with kids faster? Uh, by informing the care along the way. I mean, these are all the the ambitious things that that we're looking to uh, to tackle and leverage our data set to uh, derive insights from. But I think there's still a lot of work to be done there. Rethink also as an education arm, and we work with many of the largest urban public school districts in the United States. And that also creates another avenue for us to get our tools in the hands of special education teachers who, in addition to teaching reading, writing, and math, are struggling every day to manage behavior, manage the, the, the life skills of children in their class. And even now that's extended into just the, the social emotional well-being of, of students. So really has done a tremendous amount of work uh, developing content and curriculum and getting that into the hands of public school teachers to make sure that, you know, we know kids are coming to school uh, and, and that's a great place that we can help uh, improve the quality of services that they're receiving. So I, you, you talked about ABA and, you know, one of the predominant sort of forms of therapy, but one of the ways of sort of expanding this and, you know, certainly there are other therapies that, you know, can be as helpful, if not more helpful, you know, like speech, language therapy, occupational therapy. Are those incorporated or is that sort of future plans? Yeah, we do have providers that have moved to what we sort of think about as a multi-specialty or multidisciplinary format um, and uh, have brought in um, clinicians from other disciplines. Uh, I would say still there's a lot of siloing that occurs. And I, I think that's, you know, behavioral health versus physical health. And even within the category of behavioral health, these different specialty areas it's, a, it, it's another opportunity that we see for technology. Um, you know, we've developed a lot of tools that empower families to engage other members of the care team using the technology to, to better share access to information, better share data, um, to try to break down some of those silos and create better interdisciplinary collaboration. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, that's definitely... Uh, a big focus for us is being able to support a range of clinicians and looking at how we can break down those silos. Right. So as you think about the future, I mean, obviously, this is a long journey, um, you know, and continues. I think we're all on many of these paths, but this is obviously an expanding path. We, you know, talked about some of the expansion of the numbers and, you know, the challenges around that. What are you excited about? You've obviously managed to achieve some significant success, but where, where do you see this going? Where, what's the opportunity? Well, I think, you know, we've done a lot of work to lay the framework, the groundwork for standards of care. Uh, what excites me most is the, the opportunity with the data to start delivering insights back to providers 
back to payers, funders of these services, and most importantly, back to consumers. Um, there's so much unknown still in this area. Um, you know, everything from what what is autism and what are the causes of it, but also how do we help individuals with autism reach their fullest potential? Um, and that may look different for, for every child, for every individual receiving treatment services and, and whatever therapy model that they're uh, going through. Uh, there has been so much evolution in technology in the 14 years that, that we've been doing this. I think when we started the company, we we're all walking around with uh, Blackberry phones. And now, you know, to think about a, 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 a day and age where we're taking data and doing all this stuff on on phones is uh, pretty remarkable. And now with you know machine learning technology, artificial intelligence, uh, ways to go beyond just storing data and giving it back to people, but actually um, you know being able to drive insights from that, I think can be really transformational for this industry and hopefully have a tremendous impact on many more lives. Well, I, all in all, such an important area. I think people uh, would would agree, uh, agree without any question that you know this is a huge area of focus that's necessary for us. We've seen this you know enormous expansion, and you highlighted the fact that it requires this uh, earlier earlier intervention changes the course for people. You obviously saw. Uh, you know, some positive impact. So, um, you know, fantastic to see this progress, excited to see where it goes. Unfortunately, as uh, we do each and every week, we've run out of time. So it just remains for me to thank you, Jamie, for uh, joining me on the show. Thanks for coming. Thanks so much for an engaging conversation, Dr. Mike. Thanks for joining me today. Do you have any better ideas or have you found a small incremental change that's brought about a big improvement in your world? Let's continue the conversation on our hashtag, The Incrementalist, or share with me at DrNick1 on Twitter. You can find more information about the show on our program page at healthcarenowradio.com. And tune in next time to hear my discussions with leaders and innovators from around the globe who've revolutionized their space by using small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. I'm Dr. Nick, The Incrementalist, and I'm starting a revolution through evolution. Evolution.